Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. Today I'd like to continue our series of going through different books of the New Testament. I'd like to go over 2 Peter as well as the book of Jude, and I intend to cover every verse in both of those books. Uh, as means of introduction, a sermon to 2 Peter, we're not really sure when it was written, but it's suspected it was written probably around 66 uh, A.D. or C.E. if you want to use the term common era. In church history, we understand that there was a, a leader by the name of Polycarp that was put in charge of the churches of God in Smyrna by the Apostle John. The reason this is important is that he wrote a letter to the Philippians where he cites 2 Peter 2 verses 1 through 2. And the reason for bringing this up is that Polycarp told those of the Philippians, or those of Philippi, that they knew the scriptures. And he's quoting this, or referring to this as scripture. One of the reasons to mention that is that sometime uh, shortly after Polycarp was martyred, probably a few decades afterwards, uh, the Latins came up with something called the uh, Meritorian Canon, and it did not include 1 Peter or 2 Peter, but did include a false book called the Apocalypse of Peter, which I believe affected some Roman doctrine and some doctrine that the Protestants actually hold to to this day. In terms of Eastern Orthodox, uh, Origin of Alexandria uh, mentioned that uh, 2 Peter and Jude were considered to be contested writings. So this would have been in the early 3rd century, uh, yet those were uh, cited or referred to also by Polycarp, by the way. And even in the 4th century, uh, Eusebius, the imperial church historian, wrote that uh, Jude and 2 Peter still were uh, disputed. I'd like to read uh, something from the Catholic Encyclopedia. And again, I will be getting into the scriptures, but I want to go into this background first. Catholic Encyclopedia claims, quote, As for Protestantism, the Anglicans and the Calvinists always kept the entire New Testament, but for over a century, the followers of Luther excluded Hebrews, James, Jude, and Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. So it's true that within the Protestant world there was also some canonical confusion that we simply don't have in the Church of God. We have a book called Who Gave the World the Bible. And this book, or any other book we may, I may hold up here, is available free at the www.ccog.org website. Go to the literature tab under Books and Booklets. You can read this referenced book. But it, amongst other things, shows that the true Church of God had uh, control of the canon uh, the whole time. Uh, so, where the Greco-Romans did not, they, they did not have, have it. And there's a chart in the book, by the way, that can be helpful for that. Well, anyway, that's all just some background before I get into Second Peter. But again, the reality is uh, the Church of God had the chain of custody of all the books of the Bible and in the New Testament specifically, including Second Peter uh, from the beginning. Therefore, we've always considered, or our ancestors considered it part of the Bible, whereas, again, with the Greco-Romans, there were some problems with that, that they had until they finally adopted the correct books. Anyway, 
if you go to Second Peter, I'm going to primarily be reading from the New King, the New King James Version of the Bible. And I plan to start with Second Peter 1, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Understand, your faith should be the precious faith like that of the apostles. Don't think, oh, I'm just so lowly, Gab, and the apostles were just some great, great, great ones, and the, no, no, should be pretty well the same. Anyway, Peter wrote, verse 2, Grace and peace multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. We are to be partakers of the divine nature. And we can escape the world who relies on its lusts. You know, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 33, I'm going to read from NIV, and you don't have to go there. It says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And sometimes it may be friends, and sometimes it may be family members, etc., uh, and, and strangers. You've got television and the internet and various things. So, yes, be careful. The world can influence us. Don't think that you are so spiritual that you can't be influenced. You know, the Bible says, let he who thinks he stand take heed lest he falls. The world can influence us. Anyway, Peter wrote, verse 5, 2 Peter 1, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, diligence here, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. Now that, to do that, you should be studying the Bible, but also listening to church messages. I'm going to briefly go to uh, Romans 10, 17. You don't have to go there. Paul wrote, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The hearing should be, amongst other things, or often through church Messages and sermons and things like that. Now let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians 4. I'd like you all to go there. Because some people don't think they need to listen to anyone else, that they're fine on their own. Matter of fact, I got an email from somebody who I think he thinks is in the Church of God. He wanted to know what the splinters thought about something or why the splinters didn't do something. And I was thinking to myself, this guy is an independent. He's not part of the Church of God. Uh, he thinks he is, but he's not doing anything. Seems like he wants to be a critic. And there's a lot of people who were once part of the old Worldwide Church of God or some other Church of God groups that are just out there on their own, feeling much more comfortable uh, with their own pride by just being a critic as opposed to being diligent to determine uh, where God is uh, working the best and which group may best represent the Philadelphia remnant in this Laodicean era. Anyway, going to Ephesians, Ephesians 4, starting verse 11, talks about Jesus. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, 
and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue and fullness of Christ. So God gave various leaders so people could come to the knowledge of Christ and to stay till the end. Not so you can be out on your own and not support the, the, the work. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. And this has happened. Uh, there was the apostasies that hit the old worldwide church of God and many of us were shocked at how quickly people who supposedly believed what we believed were tricked into believing other things. And then there were those who forgot a lot of things that the church taught particularly about church errors, by the way, in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The original uh, version of Herbert W. Armstrong's autobiography, which I think came out in 73, uh, edition, the volume one edition, which I have, when the, the Tkach administration took over, they issued an autobiography. But an autobiography means the person wrote it. Herbert Armstrong or, or, and, and or edited it. Herbert Armstrong did not put out that new edition. That new edition removed all references to Philadelphia, Sardis, Laodicea. And people thought, oh, this is fine. This is what he wrote. But it wasn't. He wouldn't have written it that way. He didn't write it that way. And because of that, people misunderstand about, many people misunderstand about church errors. Not all, but many have. And they've lost other truths as well. Anyway, verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is ahead, that's Christ. We want those who've been confused, tricked, even by their own pride or lust, to come to the true faith and support the work they're supposed to be doing at the end time. Philadelphia means love of the brethren. Anyway, verse 16, referring to Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You know, you can't say, well, I'm a finger and be cut off from the hand. You can be a finger that way, but you're not an effective finger. You'd still be a finger, dead one. Matter of fact, in the messages to the seven churches, Jesus said to those of Sardis, you've got a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And various ones who left the old worldwide church of God, who did not fully apostatize, became kind of like Sardis. Most became more like Laodicea, thinking that they're fine the way they are. Anyway, which every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. And just being an outside critic isn't doing your share. Oh, yeah, but you, you keep the Sabbath, you keep the Holy Days, or you try to, or whatever. It's more than that. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You're supposed to be encouraging growth in the body, but if you're, you know, on, on your own, you're not you're not doing that. Now, in addition to uh, being part of the church, you know, studying and understanding appropriate church literature, you know, helps better equip us as Christians. Verse six, Peter writes, to knowledge, you had self-control, to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, 
and a brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful, the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want to be unfruitful. We know the parable of the talents. One person was given one, buried it, didn't do anything for anybody else. That person didn't make it. Jesus condemned him. We're supposed to be fruitful. And yes, that takes effort. Peter writes in verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. I mentioned Laodicea. Jesus said to anoint your eyes, because many become short-sighted, even to blindness. I want to read something from the Apostle Paul. We'll go from Romans 5, starting verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. You know, Peter was talking about how certain things this adds to this, adds to this, adds to this, to knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. We mentioned perseverance. Uh, Peter mentioned self-control leads to perseverance. Perseverance to uh, character, to character hope. Self-control to help deal with things such as less of the flesh, etc. Now in Philippians 2, this is Paul's letter to the Philippians, not Polycarp's, which is not part of the Bible. Uh, starting in verse 19, regard, related to Timothy, Paul writes, right, well actually about Timothy, I'm sorry. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For they all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Character is built as one strives for perfection and endures to the end. Now in the second century, Ignatius of Antioch, who was actually a Church of God leader, taught about love, character, and Christ living his life in Christians. In his letter to the Magnesians, chapter 5, and again, this is not part of the Bible, Ignatius wrote, that believing have in love the character of God the Father by Jesus Christ, by whom, if we are not in readiness to die into his passion, his life is not in us. Ignatius says, look, you're supposed to have a character in love, but if you're not willing to die or give everything up for your life, you're, you're not a real Christian. He, uh, his life's not in you. And the uh, New Testament says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not His. And Ignatius is saying, if you're not willing to give it up all, all, if you need to, you say, He's not in us. And we have sermons on character, by the way, you can watch at the, uh, this channel. Anyway, verse 10, 1 Peter 1. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. We have to be diligent. We're not supposed to be half-hearted. And if we do it, we will make it. Paul wrote, you don't have to go there, Philippians 1, verse 6, 
being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And yes, I quote that scripture a lot, because a lot of people are going through various tests and trials, and we're getting closer to the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 11. Now if you do these, verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus warned in Matthew 24, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. One of the reasons that I'm becoming more layered to sin. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So there's a warning from Jesus. Anyway, verse 12, Peter writes, of uh, first Peter, or Second Peter 1, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Now the present truth includes the entire Word of God. Where you are in your life, and where we are as we get closer to the end of this age. Verse 13 from Peter. Yes, I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. So Peter says, as long as I'm alive in this tent, I should be reminding you. But Peter thinks people should be reminded. Yes, sometimes, often, I tend to repeat myself, try to remind people of various points. Verse 14, Peter writes, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So Peter suspected he's going to die. And he wanted a writing, this writing to be a reminder after his death. Then Peter says in verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now, some were falsely claiming that Christians were following cunningly devised fables. Peter is assuring all with eyes to see and ears to hear that he was an actual eyewitness and that Christianity was true. Verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now that well pleased statement, by the way, was recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Peter is confirming it's true, and this was what happened. He talks about another incident, verse 18. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now the voice statement was also recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Peter is confirming it's true in what's happened. The Bible does agree with itself. You will hear a little there a little uh, properly and understand certain things and we'll listen to certain things if uh, particulars are not clear and we'll look up mistranslations or be informed about mistranslations and listen to that. Anyway, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you'll do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
Now, I like the Old King James translation of this verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as a light that shines into a dark place until the day dawned and the day star rise in your hearts. We, in the continuing Church of God, have the prophetic word confirmed as well. We've got an article, does the CCOG have confirmed signs of Acts 2, 17 to 18? Yet sadly, in modern times, many won't accept how God confirms his prophetic word with his faithful Philadelphians. They're above that. They're better than that. They don't seem to believe, even though the Bible says it, that God will use dreams and use prophets at the end times. They don't seem to want to believe that. Or they think it will be have to be a certain dramatic way for them to believe it. Uh, they're deceiving themselves if they won't look at the truth, accept it. Verse 20, Peter wrote, Knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, despite the Bible saying this, a week or two ago, I noticed there was somebody uh, in one of the anti-Church of God websites, as well as years back, I had somebody in one of the Churches of God, my former one, they basically demanded or challenged me to come up with prophecies on demand. One, one wrote, if, if Bob Teal's, I'm paraphrasing it, if Bob Teal's a prophet, then I expect him to right now say, touch his heart, or do something like that. And it's like, no. We say what the Word of God says. If God has some other message, I'll provide it. I provided something about a dream I had uh, in December of uh, last of 2020, and some stuff on dreams I had prior to that, as well as we've reported on dreams others in the continuing Church of God have had that were confirmed. Uh, uh, beyond that, like uh, we hope all do, we uh, I hope I'm I'm led by God's Spirit, and am going here and there in order to. Uh, expound on God's word. And it says, by the way, prophets are supposed to prophesy according to faith. Faith in what? Their own ability? Not a true prophet. <laughs> no, no, no. Their faith in God and his word. And if God reveals something, I will, uh, specifically, I will, will say that. But we're not supposed to just make stuff up or prophesy based on our own imagination. And the Old Testament warns about that. If people uh, uh make something up, make a prophecy, it happens. they say something that doesn't happen, God says it comes from their imagination. And there are people out there who do that. Anyway, many people do not understand about prophecy and how God works in the last days. Now let's go to uh, chapter 2 of Second Peter 2. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers uh, among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them. And there are uh, several false prophets uh, who claim to be a church of God. But people have said, oh, because there are several pro false ones, and I'm not going to mention them by name. There's no point. That means you're safer off not to believe God could have one. That's not the case either. Anyway, they're going to bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And several of them have done things or said things that have caused the way of truth to be blasphemed. Uh, by covetousness, they'll exploit you with deceptive words. And there are people in the church who claim to be Church of God who've been exploited by deceptive words. 
For a long time, your judgment has not been idle, and your destruction does not slumber. And I expect certain destruction to happen to uh, one or two groups uh, related to some of this. Anyway, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels uh, who sinned, but cast them uh, down to Hades and delivered them into the chains of uh, darkness. Well, actually, that's Tartaru. I'm sorry. And delivered them into the uh, chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And this is the only place uh, where the word Tartarus is uh, used, and it has to do with a, as a place of restraint. Uh, this is not used in relationship to what happens to uh, unrepentant people uh, who, after, who, who die, etc. Anyway, going back to Second Peter 2, now verse 5. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example for those who afterward would live ungodly. But many don't want to hear about why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and many moderns promote sodomy and other forms of ungodly lifestyles. Now going down verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the, the filthy conduct of the wicked. And we're seeing more of that in public these days. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And we also see them on entertainment and various other things. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation to preserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, how does, God, how does God do that? Well, as far as temptation goes, you don't have to go there, but it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, hopefully you believe that, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation also may a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, how can you help do that? Well, I've read this numerous times in the past, but James 4, starting verse 7, and also plan on reading verse uh, 8. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So when you're under being tempted, re submit to God. They'll say, oh no, I'm just weak and I've got to do this. No, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So yes, there's things you can do. Now, Peter talked about the Day of Judgment. Now, as far as a time of physical judgment on the earth goes, let's go to Revelation 3, starting verse 7. How can God reserve you from uh, the time of judgment that's going to come upon the earth? Well, the New Testament gives us some information about that. Revelation 3, starting verse 7, Jesus said, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he is holy, who is holy, he who is true, he who has a key of David, he who opens no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. And no one can shut it, for, I, for you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So we're talking about the works here. 
Indeed, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews, but but are are not, but lie. Indeed, I'll make them come and worship before you, your feet, to know that I have loved you, because you've kept my command to persevere. And Peter was talking about persevering as well. I will also keep from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And as far as how, there's a little bit of information in Revelation 12. We're going to start in verse 13. God does have a plan. And one part of the plan also talks about protecting Philadelphians. Jesus said they're going to be protected. Well, how or where? Well, we get some clues in Revelation 12, starting verse 13. We see certain things are going to happen. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And, yes, Philadelphian Christians are going to be subject to persecution. You can read about this in the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verses 28 through 36. But, lest the non-Philadelphians think they're going to get away with it, uh, they will experience it as well as you can read about that in Revelation 13 as well as Daniel 7 verses 25, I think, 24, 26. Anyway, getting back to Revelation 12, verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into her place, in the wilderness into her place where she's nourished for a time, time, and half a times. Time, times, and half a time. As far as uh, being carried on the uh, wings of a uh, eagle, great eagle, we see that reference is also from the Old Testament. The children of Israel actually walked. In modern times, maybe some people will be taking airplanes to see at least partially go to this place. Anyway, from the presence of the serpent. But the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. And that would be on the ground, of course. And I believe that uh, there will be reasons people will be afraid to travel in order to be person to be saved from the great tribulation, because people won't ha have the faith of God in God that they should have. Verse 16. But the earth is going to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood with the dragon spewed out of his mouth. So yes, if you're a true Philadelphian and you will be faithful and uh, gather together before the decree is issued, that's mentioned in Zechariah, no, Zephaniah 2, verses 1 through 3, yes, you uh, can be protected. It turns out that all Christians will be. A lot of people think that all Christians are going to be, but no, verse 17 shows that's not the case. Because the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have testimony of Jesus Christ. This is talking about remnants of Thyatira, uh, Sardis and definitely Laodicea and perhaps some of uh, uh, some of the other eras. Most Christians are not going to flee when the time to be protected is going to come. Even though God has a plan, Jesus said God can protect his people from the time of judgment. Um, there are people who compromise too much. And now going to verse 10, Peter says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh of uncleanness and despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of uh, dignitaries. You've got people in the Church of God who don't accept positions such as a true prophet. They'll speak evil. Uh, but then you've got in the, the world, let's say in like uh, the Americas, many speak against biblical morality. And uh, while many won't 
entirely, totally condemn the Bible. They don't want to hear what it teaches about their lifestyles, how they live, or are things that are an abomination. And by the way, the lusts don't just include sexual behavior or sexual sins. We're talking about more and more societies opening up to things like being stoned on marijuana, various other drugs, people have issues with alcohol. The Bible, by the way, also warns about obesity. Uh, there's lots of lusts of the flesh and pride of life. And a lot of people have uh, a pride as uh, one of their uh, lusts of the flesh. They think it affects us all. Anyway, as far as despising things go, I want to go to Leviticus 26. Starting verse 14. But if you don't obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which will consume your eyes and cause sorrows of heart, and you will sow your seed in vain, and your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will reign over you, and you will flee when no one pursues you. If after this you don't obey me, I'll punish you seven more times for your sins. I'll break the pride of your power. I'll make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength will be spent in vain, for your land will not produce its produce, nor the trees of the land yield their fruit. Now I want to go to Isaiah. Again, we're talking about those who despise God's word these days. Isaiah 30, starting in verse 12. Therefore, says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word, and trust in oppression and perversity, and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulls in a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so there shall not be found any among its fragments, a shard to take fire from the hearth, or to take water from the cistern. Now there are former Christians uh, on the internet who regularly and routinely post false things about uh, our church and the leaders of it. Uh, they despise the word of God. Peter warns verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might don't bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Yet many modern anti-biblical morality promoters uh, go to places where angels fear to tread, if I could use that expression. In verse 12, Peter writes, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand, and they don't want to understand, sadly, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. They're corrupt. Why are they corrupt? Well, in uh, Romans 1, verses 18 to 32, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress truth and unrighteousness. Verse 22 says, They profess to be wise, but they become fools. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women 
exchanged the natural use for what's against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful or receiving for themselves the penalty of their error which is due. Verse 28. And even as they did not want to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, including their father in heaven, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, and not only those who do the same, but those who also approve of those who practice them. Now let's go down to verse 13, 2 Peter 2. And they will receive wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing to their own deception while they feast with you. Now notice, this says even some who are true Christians who want fellowship with us are not truly, totally converted. Now I've mentioned Daniel 11. I want to go to there starting verse 32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. This is the king of the north, the beast. He's going to corrupt people who... Uh, are doing, who uh, will betray the true Christians. But the people who know their God will be strong and carry out something. The great exploits is not in the Hebrew. And those are the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for days, the word many here isn't there, they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. When they fall, they should be added with a little help, but many is going to join them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding will fall to refine them, purify and make them white until the time of the end, because it's still at the appointed time. So some are going to betray the church. They're going to join by intrigue, or they were part of the church, and they're going to turn against it. Peter warns about these type of people, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children. They've forgotten the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Which, by the way, is confirmation from Peter that, yes, God allowed a donkey to speak. It was not just some story that people didn't believe. It was not supposed to be true. Anyway, the people whose eyes are full of adultery and covetousness, they're walking by... Uh, sight, not by faith. Many are going to conclude that, or have concluded that the church is made up of imperfect people and imperfect leaders. They're better off selling out and selling other Christians out. And this time is likely to be here soon. Could be a couple of, uh, probably within the next seven years. It could be even sooner than that. Talking about these people though, Peter writes verse 17, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So it looks like some who will do the betraying may be those who will commit the unpardonable sin, because darkness uh, 
forever is referring to annihilation of the second death. Anyway, verse 18, Peter writes, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And again, we've seen people who were once part of, let's say, the old worldwide Church of God, post all kinds of misinformation accusations on the Internet. Verse 19. While they promised them liberty, and one of them did this this past week, actually, they themselves are slaves of corruption. I won't mention this particular person's name, but it comes to mind. For by whom a person is overcome, by whom, by him he's also brought into bondage. That also, by the way, happens uh, with uh, Protestantism and other unbiblical faiths. Now you say, wait a second, you said Protestants is an unbiblical faith. Yes, it is. We have a thick free book online. If you wish to be diligent to make your calling and election sure, if you think Protestantism could be right, please read this. This is a scripture-filled book with also a lot of historical references as well as quotes about Protestant doctrine. You'll see that uh, Protestant doctrine is not consistent with the Bible. Uh, Protestants don't truly believe in Sola Scriptura, though they claim they believe in Sola Scriptura, at least many of them do. This is free again at ccog.org on the internet. Verse 20, Peter writes, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled, in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would be better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. God is going to offer all salvation. Uh, God is calling some in this age. We'll call all others in the uh, age to come. Again, these are also free at the ccog.org website. Peter is saying those who are called who truly understood and turned away from it, that's bad. They were better off not to be called now because they could be called later. There's hundreds of scriptures that support this. And in general, the Protestant world uh, does not understand that. Uh, nor do some other faiths that profess Christ understand it as well. Verse 22, Peter writes, But what's happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow being washed in her wallowing in the mire. Uh, we had some pigs growing up, and that's what they like to go in the muck. That being said, as it says in Romans 10, 13, a time will come that uh, whoever calls on, on the name of the Lord will be saved, and part of that will be in the age to come. The Bible is clear that God wants all to be saved, and uh, he, wouldn't, he doesn't want humans to commit the unpardonable sin, which is why only relatively few are called now. So we have a booklet on that, Is God Calling You? I did a couple of sermons on this subject recently as well. If you want to watch those. And Jesus said all sins would be forgiven except uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is again turning against uh, or not following through on being a true Christian. Uh, we believe almost everybody will be saved, and because of this, we differ greatly from the Greco-Roman Protestants. And you say, well, uh, so that's why I'm holding this book up. As far as the Protestants, one of the reasons we have a book called Hope of Salvation is Protestantism doesn't understand it. Now you say, well, you may be Greek Orthodox Roman Catholic. 
what do they understand? Well, actually, various ones that they consider to be saints taught uh, what, what we in the Continuing Church of God teach as far as God's plan of salvation uh, in an age to come. That's documented very well in this book, and it's also in this particular book, The Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church, in Alda Murphy at ccog.org. Now let's go to chapter 3. The uh, last chapter of Second uh, Peter. Verse 1, Peter writes, Beloved, I now write you this second epistle, so it's, he says it's the second one, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, says, reminding people of things, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now that's a fulfilled prophecy. You can go over and see things people say. You know, everybody always thought the end was going to come. It's not coming. Blah, blah, blah. Where's the promise Jesus is coming? He should have been back by now. Peter continues in verse 5. For this they willingly forget, willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the waters in and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, having been flooded with water. So he said the world perished. Well, the earth itself still existed. But the world, that age, the life on it, perished, except that which was basically waterborne uh, could survive, uh, survive the flood and those who were in the ark. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of uh, godly men. Now one topic to bring up now is people have said, look, every generation has thought that Jesus was going to come when they were there. There's a few things that are different now. One thing is to consider debt. The uh, American and British descended nations have a lot of debt, and it's been increasing. Uh, COVID's been used as a reason to do some of that even worse. And it's, people say, well, it's been increasing forever, so we don't really care. Um, so I was at, uh, this is the uh, uh, New Jerusalem Bible, Habakkuk 2. And Yahweh answers and says to me, write a vision and explain it on the tablets, that he may run who's reading it, for yet the vision is for a season, or an appointed time. As it breathes in the end, it doesn't lie. It lingers. Wait for it. Surely it'll come. It's not late. Behold, a presumptuous one, uh, his, his soul's not operating with him, but the righteous lives by faith. And because of uh, it also because the wine is treacherous, a man is haughty and does not remain at home. Who has enlarged his soul as Sheol and as his death is not satisfied, talking about those in lust, and gathers to itself all the nations and assembles itself all the peoples? Are not these all, all of them, an allegory taken against them? And a moral acute saying of him, say, Woe to him who has been multiplying what is not his, until he's done multiplying to himself heavy pledges. Well, in the United States, those heavy pledges officially, for the government, are called treasury bills. 
do not you your creditors usurers not under will they not instantly rise up and and they will awake and you'll become a spoil to them because you spoiled many nations all around the people are going to spoil you people think that everything's going fine well the united states has been went from a creditor nation to a debtor nation around the time it started to uh, legalize abortion and people say well we've always been the last 40 some years or whatever it is uh, the exact number we keep uh, going on it's not going to continue Habakkuk warned this is simply not to continue Now, the Bible warns about a generation that says got everything that's right in its own eyes. And we're in that generation. We're getting to that time. Now, some on the Protestant side indicate that uh, prophets and prophecies, it's, we, we just need to focus about on Jesus. But the book of Revelation, which Jesus inspired to be written, said, verse 10 of chapter 19, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And Jesus himself, by the way, related to prophetic matters, in, you don't have to go there, but Mark 13, 37 said, What I say to you, I say to you all, watch. And watching is something that we should be doing. And Jesus had recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Uh, and he also referred to various parts of the book of Daniel about prophecies that Christians should be watching, signs we should be looking for at the end time. In terms of prophecies and where we are in it, and I've went over this recently, but now let me preface this by saying if is the two biggest the two if is the biggest two letter word in the English language. Ten points to consider. If, as the tradition of the school Elijah taught, that God inspired Elijah to state that the world we as we've known it from the time Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden would last six thousand years to be followed by a 1,000 year sabbatical millennial time, which uh, Jewish tradition supports, then we're getting closer to the time of the end. Also, if consistent with scriptures in both the Old and uh, New Testaments, we can apply the 1,000 years as a day. And if, point three, as generally understood by the Church of God, that Jesus was killed and resurrected no later than the spring of 31 AD on Passover, and, for we can presume that the last days, the 7,000 year prophetic week began after the middle day, after day four, then the last day prior to the sabbatical time would be the, the seventh day would be the millennial kingdom. And for the, the last days prior to that time, I'm sorry, would be the 2,000 years. And if when Peter spoke about being the last days in uh, Acts 2, verses 17 to 18. And since Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2 teaches, God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, so that's when Jesus was still alive uh, on, on the earth. Then you add 2,000 years to that time, leads to the end coming no later than 2031. And it could be earlier than that. And since the Great Tribulation is expected to start three and a half years before then, you should subtract three and a half years from the spring of 2021. That gets you into late 2027. Point eight. Understand the U.S. is prophesied to be taken over near the time the peace rises up. 
and the start of the Great Tribulation. Number eight. Therefore, since the end of two presidential terms would end in February of January 2029, these prophetic understandings point to the end of the U.S. prior to two completed uh, presidential terms, the current one and one which should come next. And number point ten, by the way, this is actually uh, consistent with certain uh, uh, Greco-Roman writings and uh, uh, Hindu writings. Not that those are what we base it on. And the reality is, we need to base things on signs that Jesus said. So we're still looking for those. But if we see certain of those signs come up fairly soon, again, the timing is pointing to prophecy in terms of now. We're getting very, 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 very close. Now, of course, if Jesus uh, was not killed to a couple of years later, uh, various other things could delay this. Anyway, going back to Peter's writings in verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And both the Old Testament and New Testament speak of the of day being like a thousand years to God. Early Christians believed that uh, the earth would last for 6,000 years after uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and we're getting closer and closer to that time. Peter wrote, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I want to go to 1 Timothy 2. God does want all saved. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that your supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, including political leaders you may not like. Which might be most of them or all of them. <laughs> that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's plan is to maximize those who can be saved, which is why he calls some now and will call others later. Again, I'm holding up these books because they go in more depth about that, more scriptures about that than I'll do in this sermon. We have a series of sermons on this, and we have a series of sermons on this as well. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works which are in it will be burned up. So I want to read what the old Radio Church of God read about this verse. It says, Ecclesiastes 1.4, Solomon said that the earth abides forever. But in 2 Peter 3.10, we read the earth is going to be burned up. So this is somebody asking a question. I know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Please explain it. The response was, when King Solomon was inspired to write, one generation passes away and another generation comes, the earth abides forever. That's, excuse me, that's why King Solomon wrote this. This is a promise that will not fail. Some have assumed that the scripture contradicts Peter's statements that the earth is going to be burned up. But was Peter actually talking about total destruction? It, it talks about the text of uh, uh, first, for Second Peter 3, 7 says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment, perdition of ungodly men. 
It says, notice this fire is judgment of ungodly men. This is the lake of Gehenna fire, which is a second death. This is the unquenchable fire that will burn up the unrepentant. Peter then goes on to describe the effects of this unquenchable fire. And I've just read verse 10, so I won't do that again. An unquenchable fire is one that cannot be put out. It merely burns until it's consumed all the combustible materials. Then it dies out, lack of anything else to consume. This, as Peter said, is everything that will be burnt up. And I kind of wonder if this is one of the reasons why the, the Greco-Romans didn't accept Second Peter. Because it talks about things of burning up. But the apocalypse of Peter, by the way, makes it sound like people are going to be burning forever, etc. Anyway, getting back to the Radio Church of God. The fire of judgment is further explained the first three verses in Malachi 4. The day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, and all who do wickedly shall be stubble. And that day that comes shall burn them up. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. Notice there will be ashes left when the unquenchable fire dies out. The globe that we still call the earth will still exist. That's what Peter meant. He also used the example of Noah's flood as a type of cleansing. Verse 6, and the earth continued to exist after the worldwide flood. Verse 13 of 2 Peter 3, we find that we look toward new heavens and new earth. In Revelation, this new heaven and new earth are mentioned immediately after the account of the lake of fire in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Uh, thus we see the earth is going to exist forever. And that's a simple explanation of this particular passage. Anyway, the second death is the lake of fire, and that's consistent with what the Apostle Peter wrote. Now, I want to read a little bit more about this from the old Worldwide Church of God. So this is a later thing. This came from uh, 1973. Many wonder about 2 Peter 3.10. Peter said the globe would be destroyed. He said the fire represents the final judgment of ungodly men. This is the lake of Gehenna fire, which is the second death, the unquenchable fire for the unrepentant. And Peter goes and describes that. He uses an example of Noah's flood. The earth will still exist. The simple explanation of 2 Peter 3.10 is the surface of the earth and everything in it, including the incorrigible wicked, will be destroyed by fire. God will then remake the surface of the earth for habitation for himself and the rest of the God kingdom. Now the burning lake of fire is related to the second death, which comes after the uh, third resurrection, comes after the third resurrection, as does a change from uh, mortality to immortality after a hundred year period. Verse 11, Peter writes, going back to Second uh, Peter 3, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Physical things, by the way, will not last, and this is one thing Peter is saying. Don't think that something you possess or own is going to last forever, and, uh, or that uh, you're going to last forever unless you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you know this body's not going to last. Verse 13, Peter writes, Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells, and if we will turn to God completely, we will be there. I want to read something about this place, Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. 
Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Isn't that sound fantastic? There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, which are true and faithful. And he said to me, I'm the, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So you get into the end. I will give you a fountain of water, of life freely for those who thirst. He who overcomes and shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he will be my son. But to the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So be careful about the lust of the flesh. Verse 14, Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Yes, we're supposed to look forward to his coming, live properly, and be diligent. Verse 15, Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, and also our beloved brother Paul. According to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them things which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable people twist their own destruction, as they have the rest of the scriptures. Notice that uh, uh, Paul called Peter's writings uh, scriptures. I mean, Peter called Paul's writings scriptures. As far as how the, some of them are twisted, I have a, a book here about the Ten Commandments, showing how they are twisted, and I held up uh, books regarding uh, the Greco-Roman Protestants which are also applicable here. Anyway, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you should fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the air of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some people have questions about Jesus. Some historian types, modern secularists try to say Jesus didn't exist. That's not true. We have a free book, Proof Jesus is the Messiah. You can prove that, yes, there was a Jesus, that, yes, uh, he was the Messiah, and yes, he's going to come again. Now, the book of Jude uh, seems to be written between 74 and 80 AD. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther wrote the following about it. Concerning the epistle of St. Jude, no one can deny that it's an exact an extract or copy of St. Peter's second epistle. Therefore, although I value this book, it's an epistle that need not be counted among the chief books which lay the foundation of faith. Uh, while there's a few uh, similar passages and a couple of quotes, uh, Jude does not read like a copy of Second Peter. It's a lot shorter. And even if it was... Should it be discounted? It's in the Word of God. Obviously not. Now, verse 1, Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Now, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, and that's consistent with what we see in Matthew uh, 13, verse 55. It says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brother is James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude. 
The old uh, Worldwide Church of God taught that Jude was an apostle based on 1 Corinthians 9.5. You don't have to go there, but Paul talks about it, as do the other apostles, uh, the brother of the Lord and Cephas. So we believe Jude was an apostle. The old Worldwide Church of God taught that Jude was an apostle, even though there's no evidence that he or his brother uh, James did any miracles. And also they wrote that you didn't have to see Jesus in order to be an apostle. The uh, uh, there are some, some stories about uh, Jude's uh, descendants, and we have an article at the cogwriter.com website uh, regarding my notes on the sermon, and you can go there and read about some things regarding his descendants. But I'm not going to cover that in this sermon. Okay. Um, Okay, going through uh, the verse, uh, back into verse 1, Jude writes to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, when I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And we encourage you to do that as well, which is one of the reasons why we have these two booklets, because a lot of people do not know what the original church taught, and more in terms of church history, shorter book on, just on church history. Uh, the Jude uh, verse 3 is, if you will, the keynote verse for the cogwriter.com website. Martin Luther didn't like Jude, maybe he didn't like it because he was supposed to contend more for the original faith than he ended up doing. Uh, verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the old uh, uh, Worldwide Church of God talked about this. Uh, this is uh, from uh, an article on false conversion. It says, Back to the faith once delivered. What does God tell us his word? Through Jude, God says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you about our common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you you should contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For certain men crept in unawares, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into the lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, even before the New Testament was completely written, ungodly men had crept inside the church to corrupt it turning grace into lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? It means license, unrestrained liberty, abuse of privilege. In other words, license to do that which seems right in the human eyes according to human conscience, though it disobeys God's law. That's exactly what those ungodly men, even in the first century, did, turning grace into unrestrained privilege to disobey God's law and turn human conscience to human conscience as a guide. And once introduced, the practice has persisted and spread over the whole world today. This is one of the fables the Apostle Paul warned that us that men would turn to. And then he cites uh, 2 Timothy 3.13. That they, they won't endure sound doctrine, but uh, depart from the truth and turn aside the fables. They and then he cites, uh, uh, this is Herbert Armstrong, by the way, who wrote this. Titus 1.16 Oh, 
he's before that, he says, but one will argue. Jude said these men would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Do these, do the men who teach no works doctrine believe in Christ, do they deny Him? Yes, they deny Him, God says, Titus 1.6. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. The way of human reason seems right to disobedient. And again, it's one of the reasons I say in terms of Protestantism, they don't really believe in the Bible through their works and teachings. They deny God. And as far as what original Christians taught and called themselves Catholic, Greco-Romans uh, uh, should study this as, as well. Anyway, verse 5, Jude writes, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. So even though God may have saved you to this point, you understand you could have problems if you turn, turn aside. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as examples, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, Uh, which, by the way, we can have happen uh, this, this day. We've got people going out there doing that, and um, they, they promote strange flesh. And uh, in the article, I've got some more stuff the Worldwide Church of God wrote on it as well. Anyway, verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. Now, it's a statement about speaking evil of dignitaries. Those... Four words are the same as in Second uh, Peter 2.10. And these days, many have fantasy dreams that uh, gender is supposed to be fluid, biblical sexual morality is repressive, etc. They speak evil of the Bible. Verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, which he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against them a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebukes you. Verse 10, But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, and these things, they corrupt themselves. And we've seen that more and more publicly. Verse 11, Woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain, they've ran greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Verse 12, These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. There are clouds without water, so basically a waste carried about by the winds like autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the darkness, the blackness forever. And part of that is similar to what we read in Second Peter. But again, there's a, a few similarities that don't make it a copy. Now verse 14, which is not mentioned in Peter. Now Enoch, the seventh from... Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them all of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now, some have asserted that this proves that only 144,000 people are going to be saved prior to the return of Jesus. They point to the 10,000s as proof, but 144,000 isn't the 
equally divisible by 10, it comes up to 14.4. It's not a whole number. Uh, now, some Protestant commentators say the 10,000s just means uh, a myriad, just a lot. But I looked at this and tried to also look at against the Hebrew. And this seems to be some type of tens of thousands. Now, I'm not going to go to all the details about this, but the fact that it says tens of thousands means it's not saying tens of millions or billions are going to be be saved. Uh, the Bible in the New Testament talks about uh, a couple of uh, 144,000, talks about them a couple of times, different places, and a great multitude will be saved. And it would be more than a total of 144,000 people will be saved. Uh, and the uh, old Worldwide Church of God uh, took a similar position about that, but they thought that perhaps there might be 144,000 Philadelphians. Now, if that is the case, that would include a lot of people who have already died, because uh, I don't think there are, I don't know if everyone has speculated a number, but I don't, I, at this instant, I'm not convinced that there's, there's not, not 144,000 Philadelphians right now on the earth. It's less than 100,000, maybe it's around 10,000, plus or minus. And maybe God will call more to be Philadelphians as we get, get closer. All right. Now, um, let's see. Let's go back to, uh, to Jude. And I've lost my place here in my notes. So I've got my Bible here, verse 14. So let me go to verse 15 here. As many of you know, one of the reasons I read from my notes as opposed to from the scripture itself as slipping through the pages all the time affects the sound and, and, and the microphone recording. Okay, so we got through uh, uh, verse uh, 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 15. So now I'm going to go to verse 16. Peter writes, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, that they might they mouth great swelling words, which is it, what we see from a lot of our critics, flattering people to gain advantage. I've seen that done as well. As far as grumbling and complaining, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them as examples. They were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages has come. So we're not supposed to be complainers, even though we have things we're going to have to endure. Verse 17, Jude writes, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Now I want to go to 1 John 2, starting in verse 15. Give me a moment to go there if you'd like to go. Because John warns about walking according to lusts as well. Verse 15, lust of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father but is of the world. 
and as the world is passing away and lust in it, the world is, but and the world is passing away with lust in it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we've got to walk by uh, faith, not by sight, not by lust. Oh, feels good to me, therefore it's the right thing to do. Uh, it may not be. We try to teach you the truth about the world of God so you'd know. As far as pride goes, I want to go to uh, Proverbs 10, starting verse, excuse me, Proverbs 30, starting verse 10, and uh, actually 12. There are Proverbs 30, verses 12 through 13. Got a problem, one of the problems that I run into sometimes, you wonder why sometimes I stumble over which verses, is there's a program that I use to copy the verses. And I use this program to copy the verses because I'm afraid if I type them out, I might make a mistake. But the problem is when I copy them over, sometimes it adds another verse number or something to it and uh, affects, affects it. No, I want to make sure. No, okay. Uh, hmm. 10 to 13. Oh, okay. Starts verse 11 is what I want. There's a generation, this is uh, Proverbs 30, verse 11. There's a generation that curses its father, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. And we seem to be in a generation like that now, because I think this is, this is the one there. We're not supposed to... Um, be the, like the world, think like this, this filthy generation. You know, Paul warned in Romans 13, starting verse 11, and do this knowing that the, the time, that now is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And both Paul and Jude warned about the works of darkness. Let us walk properly in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, nor in lewdness, or in lust, or in strife or envy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to satisfy its lusts. And we, he also wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, you don't have to go there. He says, don't you know, the unrighteous, unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexual sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And as such were some of you. So you could have had some of these problems or all of them, but you were washed and you're sanctified and you're justified in the name of Jesus. So people can repent and change. Now back to Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up by your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Note that you need God's love and mercy to be granted eternal life. It's not just yourself and how you, you can't do it yourself. Verse 22, And then some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even their def garment defiled by the flesh. But we're supposed to use wisdom when it comes to having compassion. Some take advantage of that compassion and concerns of others, um, but some need strong warnings. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever and ever. Both Jude and Peter talked about eternity being forever and how important it is to not let things in the flesh affect you and keep you from the prize. Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. We need to put our trust and confidence in God. Don't rely on the lust of the flesh or just how you feel. You need to be diligent. Don't deny Jesus with your works or lack thereof. The Bible is clear that prophecy is real. and We need to watch like Jesus said to watch. We are getting closer to the time of the end. And God does have a glorious future for those who await on Him. And that is a key part of the messages from Second Peter and Jude. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.